Well, this next half hour may make you um, hungry, <laughs> to say the least. I first moved to China in 2008, having never been there. Um, I knew stuff about it, but I never actually set foot in the country. So my knowledge of food, Chinese food, was pretty limited. I've been exposed to more than just like food court and so on, but I didn't really have any idea what to expect when I arrived there. People ask me questions like, what are you going to eat? And I, I really, I really couldn't say, you know, I really didn't know. I mean, I had, you know, I had some exposure to dim sum and things like that, but I really didn't know. Well, it turns out, of course, you'd struggle to find anything you'd find at a food court here in China. It just doesn't exist. The food does not exist. It, it, it's, it's not completely different, but almost none of the dishes you'd see on a menu here actually exist there. Um, and the food was literally one of the very greatest parts about living in that country is just how unbelievably good and varied and different the food is from the different provinces, whether it be Yunnan or Sichuan or Shanxi, I'm probably going to get it wrong, you know, Shanghainese food, uh, Cantonese food, obviously from Guangdong. It's all fantastic. And everywhere you go, the food changes a little bit. Um, it's, it's all remarkably good. And that brings me back home. So when I got back, people always asked me, well, what was the food like? And I would always say, well, it, it was great. It was excellent, but it was different. It's hard to explain. Now, once I came back, if you start to look around cities like Vancouver or Toronto, you can find all the stuff that you can find in China here if you go looking for it. Um, but I also gave me a new appreciation for what I'd grown up with as so-called, quote unquote, Chinese food. And it was different. Obviously, it's different, but it's ours. And there is a real story behind it as well. Uh, there's a great U.S. documentary that came out a while ago called The Search for General Tso, which is uh, really interesting about how General Tso's chicken came to be and why it's so popular in America and how it changes in each part of the, depending on what state you're in and how it's been adapted. Um, there's a great book out not long ago from Global Mail journalist Anne Hui called Chop Suey Nation, where she journeys across Canada to small town Chinese restaurants from Newfoundland to B.C., also fascinating. And now Global News and Chorus Radio digital journalist Patricia Chan has sprinkled some uh, particular Alberta flavor into this very interesting story about the origins of uh, Chinese food in this country and how different it is and why that is with the story behind a provincial favorite there called ginger beef, which I have to confess, I don't think I've ever had, which already disqualifies me from this conversation probably. Uh, but Patricia Chan joins me now from Calgary. Thanks so much for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. So tell me about the inspiration for this piece. I gather it was sort of behind the closing of a restaurant. Yeah, so <clears throat> there are definitely some, um, there are two different kinds of inspiration. Um, one is the closing of the restaurant. It's a very near and dear um, restaurant to many Calgarians. A lot of Calgarians grew up with this restaurant. It's been in Calgary for 47 years before it closed. And when they announced that they were going to retire, um, it was a big thing on the internet, and that's what inspired me to look into this dish um, because it's a dish that a lot of Calgarians say, oh, it was invented in Calgary, and that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. But right. my... The Silver Inn restaurant, right? Is that That's the one, the Silver yes. Inn? Right. Yes, Silver Inn restaurant, yes. Um, and the other thing um, that really sparked my interest is I, I lived in Taiwan for 15 years. I basically grew right. up there. And when I came back, you know, like you, I came back, I was like, it's just different Chinese food. Um, I, I wasn't used to it because I grew up in Taiwan, which is completely different in cuisine. Um, but 
you know, before I got here in global, I was always asking myself, like, why, like, what's so important about Chinese Canadian food? There has to be a story here. And when I guess Silver Hidden closed, this just gave me the opportunity to kind of write about it. Yeah, I remember being at a night market in Gaoxiang in, in, in Taiwan. The best snacks, on, really probably the best snacks on the planet. I don't mean to, to be to be just to wax poetic too much, but Taiwan has some amazing, <laughs> has some amazing food. So tell me about tell me about ginger beef, because it's an interesting story about how this sort of trying to adapt um, to a cuisine that you don't really know that well, but you sort of have an idea. So back 47 years ago, this idea of trying to make something that would appeal to uh, to the palate of the people they were trying to serve. Yeah, so when I talked to the owner um, of Silver Inn, um, the idea back, the idea from for the dish, um, when they first opened the restaurant, they were trying to create a dish that would not only appeal to the palates of Calgarians at the time, but also introduce um, a new dish, like a new dish to Calgarians. So they saw that Calgarians were eating beef, um, as most Albertans are. We love our beef. Um, And they're like, well, what if we battered and fried it like a French fry and finish it in a sweet and sour tangy sauce like ketchup? And so that that was what their inspiration. And it just kind of took off from there. Um, Calgarians loved it, obviously. Um, And it made their business very successful. uh, what he told me, um, you know, he he and his family were trying to make this business successful because it's their livelihood, um, and this just did it for them. It's it, when I read that in your story, it's such an interesting way of trying to sort of of seeing uh, the North American or the Canadian palate through somebody else's eyes, right? Like, let's fry it and make it really sweet; they'll love it. <laughs> it's sort of an interesting way of yeah. of, uh, of looking at, of looking at it. You know, sugar and fat. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. Thank you. Um, <laughs> It, but but it, it it took on a life of I mean I gather it's 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 really become a, a, a dish that people love right across the province. It's sort of become a, a signature dish in many ways, and di- many different parts of the country have them. Yeah, I mean, when I moved back to Canada, I was really um, kind of sh- not I, I can't say shocked, but I guess surprised to see ginger beef almost everywhere in food courts in. Um, in Canadian malls, especially, but like in any Chinese restaurant I go to, I see ginger beef and every Chinese restaurant has their own recipe for ginger beef. Um, But it's very popular, um, not just in Alberta and not just in Calgary, but everywhere. And, you know, but one thing that I keep hearing from people on the internet um, is that the ginger beef that they get elsewhere is different. And every time they go to Calgary, they have to get ginger beef, which I find absolutely fascinating. So it's the authentic, it's the authentic one. Yes, it's the authentic one. (laughs) How, how, you know, I I must've had it somewhere somehow, but I don't remember eating it. I've never had it in Calgary, which is to my great regret now at the Silver Inn. Um, But did you, did you taste it? What was it like? Um, I didn't have the one specifically at uh, Silver Inn, specifically, but I've had um, ginger beef around in Calgary at many different restaurants. Um, and it's, it's very, um, it's sweet, um, it's which, sweet. 
It's sweet, um, which I, I, I'm not really used to because in Taiwan, um, it's more savory. Like, I guess it depends where you are in Taiwan because the cuisine is just so diverse. But where I'm from in Taiwan, it's very, like, very salty, very savory flavor. Um, it's, it, it definitely is crunchy. You have to eat it fresh. You have to eat it fresh. You can't, it's not a, it's not a dish that travels well, but it is crunchy and it really is sweet and safe. It's really hard to explain really, but, um, you have to try it. 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 And and then you went out and then you sort of set out to, to expand on this a bit and found that, um, that there were a lot of dishes that were created under different circumstances to appeal to different palates and that some of the stories were sort of inspirational, like ginger beef. Some of them were born of, of, of struggle in different times that, that we eat here that are that mightn't be the same, have quite the same background. Uh, so you found that there were a lot of stories behind a lot of the dishes that we call Chinese food in this country. Yeah, so um, ginger beef is just one of the many um, Chinese Canadian foods um, that was born out of really a Chinese immigrant need to survive. Um, you see chop suey, mushu pork. Um, I don't, I haven't seen mushu pork here in Canada. I've seen it in America. But, mushu, but chop suey and mushu pork are also um, two other dishes that were born out of um, Chinese Canadian restaurants. Um, and these dishes have a really interesting history because they came from Chinese immigrants that come to Canada um, and obviously there's a language barrier. And this is in the 1850s. But they land here in Canada with little to sometimes no knowledge of English. So they were either forced to work on the Canadian Pacific Railway, Railway for poverty, poverty wages or open their own business. Um, and, you know, it, it was a lot of these dishes are just kind of experiments of, oh, you know, what appeals to the Western palate. Um, but a lot of these restaurants started out as, oh, we don't have a lot of Chinese dishes on the menu. And, but then they slowly introduced um, these new dishes into, I guess, the Chinese-Canadian menu, and that's just how it came about. Is there a concern, uh, Paula, that when these restaurants go, that these dishes will go with them, that something is lost? I think there's a lot of anxiety, especially for people my age or younger, um, you know, Chinese Canadians, Asian Canadians, um, that when these legacy restaurants go away, that Chinatown and the essence of Chinatown is also going away. But when I talked to an anthropology professor here at the University of Calgary, you know, she argued that that might not, that, that might not necessarily be the case. Um, you know, these legacy restaurants will be remembered in their own way. But it also brings opportunity for new restaurants and new, um, you know, cultural aspects um, to come in, um, modern Chinese aspects. And, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know how, I, I don't know how attuned you are to Chinese pop culture, but in Chinese pop culture, there is a lot of emphasis of, you know, combining to the traditional and, and in with modern, I guess, trends. And, you know, she said that there is an opportunity there for um, Chinatown to have that as well. Yeah, and I guess an opportunity, as you found in your article, an opportunity not only to to match the modern with the old, but also in Canada to, to create different kinds of fusion than you might find in China, for instance, like something uniquely Canadian. 
Yeah. So, um, in you know, I, I wrote about Dilo, which is this new Asian restaurant in Toronto, and it's absolutely delicious. I've eaten there before. Uh, but Nick Liu, um, the executive chef and owner, his main like his main mission is to introduce. Um, you know, introduce dishes that combine old flavors with new techniques um, and really changing the way and perspective that Canadians view Asian cuisine um, because, you know, I, I've kind of seen it, but he's seen it more because he's obviously in the industry. Um, but a lot of the times these, you know, it doesn't matter Chinese, Vietnamese or Indonesian, a lot of these foods are often siloed into you know, this kind of box. Um, and a lot of Asian Canadian chefs like Nick are trying to break out of that mold. Yeah. And, and it would make sense that, uh, that they would bring new ideas to the, if they were going to continue in the, in the business, because I gather one of the issues with a lot of the restaurants that we would consider to be traditional uh, Chinese restaurants in the Chinatowns of Canada uh, closed because there's no generation to pass them on to really that, uh, that they don't want their kids working in the same business. They've gone off to do other things, but if you're going to get involved with food, uh, I would imagine what you want to do is bring your own, you, you don't want to be making what you, what, what, what was made, you know, 1978, you want to try something new and bring something new to the table. Yeah, and that's, you know, that that's a very ambitious goal for a lot of young chefs, right? Um and you're right, a lot of um a lot of these restaurants that were opened um by Chinese immigrant families, a lot of the parents don't want their child to work um in the restaurant industry. Um because for them it's a mean for for the parents it's a mean for survival. Um and it comes with a lot of hardship, it comes with a lot of peers um and they just don't want their child to go through that because that's just their experience working in the industry um and the anthropology professor that i talked to made a good point is that you know a lot of the times these children are um you know have the privilege of having the canadian education that they aren't that the parents themselves couldn't have so they want they want their children to be um more ambitious in their I guess, in their career choices. Um, and that's why they, you know, that's why a lot of these restaurants are closing down is because, because of this. And, you know, I, I don't think that we should look at this as a sad thing. Um, and I think it, I think we should look at it as a new, you know, new opportunity um, for new things. Yeah. And, and every time someone sees ginger beef on the, on the menu at the food court, think about where it came from and had a long history behind it. Um, it was fascinating stuff, Paula. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's been great talking about talking about this. Yeah, no, it was a fascinating article. I think it's something that, you know, it's something that uh, it speaks a lot about, not just the history of food here, but also the history of different groups coming here and, and bringing their food with them and adapting it and so forth. And it was a fascinating insight into that. Have a great night. You too.